Cities produce more than 60% of global greenhouse gas emissions. Big cities get a lot of attention, but most household emissions in the U.S. actually come from communities outside urban cores, making them critical players in climate mitigation and climate justice. City Climate Corner explores how these small and mid-sized cities are tackling climate change and moving toward an equitable and sustainable future. I'm Abby Finnis. And I'm Larry Kraft. We're co-hosts for City Climate Corner. Hey, Larry. Hey, Abby. So we have some pretty good news that's happened this past week in Minnesota. Our largest utility, Excel Energy, which is also in several other states, has been going through its integrated resource planning process the last few years. And the Public Utility Commission here just approved their plan. And there have been a lot of cities and community groups that have been involved in this regulatory process that really, really had an impact. Um, And so now we're seeing a resource plan that will not have coal by 2030. And that's going to be an 87% reduction in their carbon emissions, which is really huge. The other big thing is that they did not get approved for their natural gas peaker plants at this point. So no new gas was approved. And then the big thing that I'm really proud of is they have to include local goals in their forecasting models. And so that's a lot of distributed energy, a lot of 100% renewable goals that, that are coming from these communities across the state in their territory. Awesome. And we have a 100% goal for 2030. You do. And and St. Louis Park was one of the leaders in submitting comments. So thank you to St. Louis Park. It'll be very helpful to have a little bit of wind at our backs. For sure. And it's just participating in the process and following the rules of of the game and the structure and, and pushing these companies to do better on climate stuff. It's not the only pathway. You could also sue Mm. (laughs) this this country is pretty lawsuit friendly right which brings us to today's episode where we go to honolulu and maui how did we find out about this story we you know we were investigating trying to find a good hawaii story and someone that had been on my advisory board when i was with imatter contacted her and she said you know you need to talk to my friend josh stanbro who was the former chief resiliency officer for honolulu and so I got in touch with him talking about a couple of things. The first thing we were talking about was a sea level rise episode, which I think we'll still do. There's some really fascinating stuff going on there around that and how they have to do a managed retreat from the coast. But he said, you know, one of the things I'm most proud of here was the lawsuits that we did where we sued eight oil companies. And it was inspired by a small city. And then Maui got involved. Super interesting story. And the other thing that really resonated with me was the organization that's been supporting cities and states in doing this is a group that got in contact with me about a year ago. And I've been thinking about, boy, should I bring this to St. Louis Park to consider? So I was really excited to have this episode and just listen and learn. And we have some, I think, really interesting people to interview the former mayor of Honolulu, who's now a candidate for governor of Hawaii, a council member from Maui, and then also uh, the legal director for this organization, um, Center for Climate Integrity. Yeah, it's fantastic. And uh, just a lot of respect to our guests today. They're doing really good work and very inspiring. Let's give it a listen. Let's do it. In March of 2020, Honolulu sued eight oil companies for their role in causing climate change. A few months later, in October of 2020, Maui 
did the same. I'm really excited today to talk to some of the key people involved in those decisions and to learn how it happened, why they did it, and what they expect to get from it. Our guests today are the former mayor of Honolulu, Kirk Caldwell, Kelly Takaya King, who serves in the Maui County Council, and Alyssa Joel, legal director for the Center for Climate Integrity. Welcome all of you to City Climate Corner, and let's start with each of you introducing yourselves. And why don't we start with Kirk? Well, I wanted to say aloha to everyone on this podcast, and to let you know, I'm Kirk Caldwell. I was the mayor of the city and county of Honolulu for eight years, starting in 2013 through 2020. I'm the 14th mayor of the city and county of Honolulu, and it's just good to be with a group of people who care much about our planet and fighting our climate crisis. And Kelly. Aloha, everyone. I am the council member on the Maui County Council who chairs the Climate Action, Resilience, and Environment Committee. I'm also the vice president for over 25 years of Pacific Biodiesel, which started on Maui. And I'm on the board of ICLE USA, which is an international organization that works with cities and local communities directly on environmental and climate action plans. We just did an episode with ICLE a couple episodes back. Great. My participation in COP26 was as a, an ICLE delegate. Oh, fantastic. They were telling us about some of the things that happened at COP26. Alyssa, what about you? Well, thanks, Larry. My name is Alyssa Joel. I'm legal director at the Center for Climate Integrity. We are a nonprofit organization uh, whose mission is to help communities like Honolulu and Maui hold polluters, and namely the major fossil fuel companies, accountable for their role in the climate crisis. Before we dig into the topic for today, one of the things that I've learned about Hawaii is that the local government structure is different than a lot of the rest of the U.S. in that there is not a formal level of government below the county. Kirk, I'm hoping maybe you can educate us a bit about this. Well, I think it all comes from our very unique history compared to the rest of the United States. As you know, we are a kingdom. We are individual kingdoms at one point. Each island and parts of islands had their own kings and queens. Uh, Kamehameha the Great um, united all the Hawaiian islands under one government, and all power resided in the king, just like in other places around the world throughout history. As we became a republic and then a territory and a state, most of the power was centralized in the state government. But back at the turn of the last century, a county system was created for the state of Hawaii. Up until then, there was no such thing as a county, unlike the rest of our country, right? Really, it was the counties first. You know, when you think of the Minutemen and Concord and Lexington, it was counties coming together, gathering militia to fight the British. Exact opposite here. They created the county system by two Hawaiians, Prince Kwananakoa and Prince Kohio. They wanted to give voice to the people because up to then, the governor of the territory of Hawaii was appointed by the president of the United States. And when they talked about the people, I don't think they were talking about white people like me. They were talking about the Native Hawaiian people. And so the first two mayors of the city and county of Honolulu were Native Hawaiians. But because of that, the county system was created. And there is nothing below the county, but there are many things in our county government that are missing that you would have in yours. For example, uh, the courts are a state function. The schools are a state function. The hospitals are a state function. So we have a more limited use of power than the state does. It's a very strong central government. So after that, it's the city and county of Honolulu. They call it the city because we have a million people on this island. 
So they put city in it and the other counties, Maui County, Hawaii County, Kauai County um, are the governing entities for each of those islands or group of islands. Maui is composed of three islands, Lanai, Molokai, and Maui, although they have an uninhabited island, Koholawe. And I'm getting in your territory, Kelly, so I apologize for that. I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, Kirk, but the city of Honolulu is the only incorporated city in the state of Hawaii. Correct. That's why they call it the city and county, um, because it actually governs the entire island, not just Honolulu. And then for our island, for our county on Maui, we are Maui, Molokai, Lanai. And even though Kaho'olawe is in our territory, it's really been the territory of the United States government. And they use it for military bombing practice for a long time. So we're, we're still in the process of taking that back. It's uninhabited because there's so much shrapnel left over on that island. I wanted to say, to add to what Kirk said, is that there are some benefits to leaving some portions of it centralized and, and the centralization of the education system. While I would like it to be governed locally, the fact that the monies for our education system are appropriated statewide is actually an advantage because we don't use our property taxes and therefore we don't have the rich areas having the nicest schools and the poor areas having poorer schools. And all the money pretty much gets divided up per student. There are advantages to being centralized, but there are also home rule disadvantages for the neighbor islands. As islands surrounded by the Pacific Ocean, I imagine climate change is a very present danger for Hawaii. So Council Member King, can you start by telling us what are some of the impacts and climate costs that you see on Maui? Probably the biggest issue that we see is erosion from sea level rise and from storm surge. We have a a section in West Maui right now where it's pretty visible. There's a stretch called Kahana that is being shored up by sandbags right now. One of the condos has has sand eroding from underneath its foundation as we speak. That's become very real to us. They're looking at various options for beach renutrification. And our island, and I think the state of Hawaii has actually said we will not allow any more uh, seawalls because seawalls can be very destructive. Any kind of hardening against nature becomes very destructive to the surrounding areas. That's been a huge problem trying to figure out how these condos are going to save themselves. We've lost a community pavilion that we used to use that was uh, destroyed by sea level rise. And we've got some roads that are underwater a lot of the time because of sea level rise. Some roads we know we're going to be losing. It's costing us millions of dollars to relocate Pi'ilani Highway, which is the road that goes from central Maui up to Lahaina. These are just the beginnings of sea level rise. So we're going to see much more damage. The state has done an assessment, and it's in the billions of dollars, I think probably for each island. The counties are put in a position where we're being asked to help fund some of these plans for managed retreat or to uh, save the beach. And we're really not in a position to do it ourselves. These, these private entities like the condos and the hotels are going to have to really figure out how to finance these issues themselves. Because if we tried to save everybody's house or hotel or building this on the beach, we'd be bankrupt in a couple of years. Kirk, is there anything you want to add to that? You know, the Native Hawaiians called our, our Pacific Ocean the Blue Continent. Uh, and they look at it as, an, as a body of water that doesn't separate, but actually connects. Because as you know, they came from from places like Tahiti and and came to Hawaii on double hull sailing canoes, and they did round trips. So they look at this ocean as a connector between the islands and between other places. And that blue continent 
surrounds the most isolated group of islands that you can find anywhere on this planet. And we are affected by sea level rise. As a resident of Oahu, although I grew up on the island of Hawaii, is we feel the effects of our climate crisis every single day. For example, today, there are very few trade winds. We've had no trades for most of this week when we used to, when I was a kid, have consistent trade winds from the Northeast. They're a form of air conditioning that cools us down. We have days where it's very dry, where it used to rain a lot. It doesn't rain in Manoa as much as it used to, or in the town of Hilo where I grew up. As a result of those things, we see rain bombs that hit us. We had a huge rain bomb in January that caused uh, some real damage in areas around downtown Honolulu. We lost electricity in the building I'm in right now. We had no power for four days. All of downtown, the financial district had no power. Kelly, I was in Kula yesterday. I saw the roads, only one lane of a road open. The rest had washed away. This is from the January flood. Same time, it's very dry. We have massive fires on the leeward coast that burn former cane lands and even burn structures, gets close enough. Lahaina had a couple of fires where homes were burnt. So we have a lot of rain at times and no rain at other times. We also see these hurricanes. In 2015, when I was mayor, we had something like 16 hurricanes in one hurricane season. A couple category fours that ramped up and fell apart right on the shores of Waikiki. Sooner or later, we're going to get hit like Kauai did by Aniki, which is a Category 4 that did a direct hit on Kauai. Of course, the sea level rise is something you, anyone who comes to Oahu or visits any of our shores on any islands, you'll see coconut trees falling into the water, how trees falling into the water. You'll see buildings right at the edge of the water. And there's a huge argument that's going on about whether you build walls or some type of protective feature. My point is that we feel it. And by the way, We feel it in other ways. You know, what's happening on the continent impacts the price of food, impacts the price of lumber. Uh, We may not know it, but there's a direct correlation between our climate crisis and everything else that we live through, whether it be in Hawaii or anywhere else around the world. Larry, I just wanted to also add that I just pulled up some figures. In Maui County, we have $3.2 billion in assets, including 3000 100 acres of land, 760 structures, and 11.2 miles of major roads that are all in the sea level rise exposure area. Wow. Some of those are already underwater. Some of those are supposed to be underwater. And part of the cost, too, is is a lot of money that we're putting into this uh, climate action plan to try to figure out which uh, facilities and infrastructure can be saved, which ones can be moved and also how we're going to react to these climate um, disasters as they become more frequent and more intense. That's what keeps me up at night and wakes me up at three o'clock in the morning. Yeah, it's incredible to hear the observed and felt impacts of climate change underscoring the clear and present danger that it is and, and that we know that it's going to get worse. How do we move forward and adapt and also hold those who are responsible accountable for it? Let's turn to these lawsuits. Alyssa, can you give us some background on the Center for Climate Integrity and help us understand the rationale for cities, counties, and states suing oil companies? It's interesting to hear Kirk and Kelly talk about the impacts and to think about the reality in Hawaii and communities around the country. These are very real impacts that communities are facing, and the costs are going to be astronomical, not only today or tomorrow, but 5, 10, 20 years down the line. The question that a lot of communities are facing and elected officials have to 
think about is who's going to pay those costs? Will it be the taxpayers or will it be the parties that are responsible for causing the problem in the first place? And I think that for Honolulu and Maui, I think the writing was on the wall. The billions of dollars that they're going to face in terms of infrastructure costs, building roads, bridges, relocating communities, trying to address the erosion. And these these lawsuits are really an attempt to shift the burden of those costs from the taxpayers to the polluters. What's underlying them all is this polluter pays principle. These cases are really built on the premise that this industry and a few specific companies in particular, we're talking about Exxon, Chevron, Shell, ConocoPhillips, BP, a number of others, Sunoco, which is named in, in the Honolulu and Maui suits. All of these big fossil fuel companies knew about the causes and consequences of climate change as early as the 1960s. And they knew about the harms. They sold their products despite knowing those harms. And then they concealed and lied about the effects of their products for for decades and continue to this day. The deception and denial might not be as adamant as it once was or egregious as it once was, but now it takes the shape of greenwashing and other forms of deception and misrepresentation. And so we know that their actions and their deceptive acts continue to this day, and they need to be held accountable for that. So that's what these lawsuits really are all about. It's the fact that they knew, they lied, and they concealed information from the public, consumers, policymakers, media, and more, and and they need to be held liable. How did the first lawsuits start? The first lawsuits in in this most recent wave of litigation uh, were filed on behalf of California municipalities. Uh, There were several Northern California and Southern California communities that filed suit against Chevron and other fossil fuel companies. They were filed in state court under state law, and a number of communities have since followed suit. There are six states, as well as the District of Columbia, where I live and 20 municipalities that have taken legal action to hold the industry to account. And they're all moving through the court system as we speak. The procedural status varies in each and every one of them, but they are moving through the court system. And we've received a number of very favorable decisions from district courts, federal appellate courts. In the Honolulu case, which is one of the front runners of of all of these 26 communities that have filed suit, There are now motions to dismiss before Judge Crabtree in in Hawaii State Court, uh, who we're expected to hear from any day now. These cases are actively moving through the courts, and I can say with some confidence that I think it's quite certain we'll see more in the coming years. And Honolulu sued eight oil companies in March of 2020. Kirk, could you give us some background on how that happened and, and why you became involved in that? You know, Abby, it makes me think back, I think it was 2017, uh, Josh Stambro and I went to a, a climate conference held by Rahm Emanuel, the mayor of Chicago. President Obama was there also. And there was a guy named Serge Dedina. He was a mayor of a very small city, a surfer dude. Came out, hey, you're from Honolulu, you surf pipe. Going, no, I don't surf pipe. I'm not that crazy. I don't surf big waves. I surf smaller South Shore waves on a regular basis. But, you know, he's wearing the hat, very much surfer dude kind of guy from Imperial City. But he told me he had filed a lawsuit against the oil companies. I thought, man, this guy has courage. So we talked and it got this flame lit for us. And then I think about people like Alyssa. She showed up on Oahu 
we got her before the governor of the state of Hawaii. And we are in his cabinet room with a whole bunch of people. And my goal, we were on board to file a lawsuit, but we wanted the state of Hawaii to do it. We wanted all the counties to do it. And Maui stepped up. But here's the thing, Surge, a small city of 50,000 can make a difference. This fighting big oil is not about just big cities. It's about large and small cities. It's about large and big states. And it is a march, a long march to overcome the climate deceptors, the climate deniers that were trying to convince people that consuming oil in vast quantities is not having an impact on your climate when they knew otherwise, and hopefully be successful enough to actually get money from them to address the huge infrastructure and other costs that we're going to have to pay here on the island of Oahu. I was somewhat skeptical starting out. Um, I thought about when big tobacco was sued and how long it took. It was a big fight. And so I thought, is this a fight for me at the end of my term? You know, it's 2017, I had two years left in my term. But I think every journey begins with the first step. And we're going to take the first step along with others. And we may not all get there, but some of us are. We're going to lay a pathway. And I do believe at the end of the day, we are going to be victorious. And we are going to see big oil being held accountable for their lies and deception and their cover-ups. And I think we're going to see funding coming from big oil in order to help our cities and counties and states address the impacts that they knew about decades and decades ago. Councilmember King, how did Maui get involved and decide to be in the lawsuit? Well, we had to do with Kurt Caldwell and that office over there on Oahu. I was contacted in 2019 and I, when I was chair of the Maui County Council. And so I met with Josh and our mayor and the attorneys from Sher Edlin, who was the attorneys they were working with, offering to represent Maui in the same lawsuit. And they're doing it at no cost, so that was easy. For me, pushing this uh, with our council was about accountability. I know it was a long game, but I was actually encouraged by what was happening in the tobacco industry and the fights that were won there. I'm probably not going to be on the council by the time this is settled, but it's not about that. It's really about the accountability and the fact that uh, we have to do something as a collective community about these big industries that keep getting away with this. They keep getting away with the deception for their economic benefits, and they sacrifice our health and our environment in their process of trying to grab more money. It's about this right to pollute for your own economic gain. I was happy to get this part done and to work with Oahu, and now as vice president of the Hawaii State Association of Counties, I'm trying to work on the other two counties in our state to also um, join the lawsuit because this, this issue is statewide. It's not really just about Oahu and Maui. Hey, we're taking a quick break to say if you like what you're hearing, please support us. You can do so by clicking the support us link on our website at cityclimatecorner.com or you can go to our store and get some cool merch. Alyssa, can you give a broader context of the status of these things? Let me just take a step back. And I'll use the Honolulu case as an example, because I think it's um, characteristic of, of the way these cases have been playing out. The Honolulu case, as well as Maui, they were filed in state court under state law. And that's done intentionally and strategically by the plaintiffs because they think that that's the appropriate venue and the appropriate area of law that governs this type of claim. The industry 
they think that they have a greater likelihood of success if these cases are heard in federal court. So what they do in each and every one of these cases is that they've removed the case to federal court where the plaintiffs then have to file a motion to get the case brought back to state court. This has resulted in two plus years of litigation in some of these cases where the parties litigate, they get a decision to go back to state court, and then the industry inevitably appeals that remand decision. So where Honolulu's at at the present moment is that there was a decision by the district court to send the, send the case back to state court. And so there is a, an active ongoing proceeding in the state court. As I've mentioned, there are motions to dismiss pending before Judge Crabtree. Meanwhile, there is a parallel proceeding going on before the Ninth Circuit where the parties have appealed the decision to send the case back to state court. That appeal is pending. There's oral argument, I believe, is scheduled for February 18th. So that's coming up very quickly. So we will get an authoritative decision from the Ninth Circuit about whether or not both the Honolulu and Maui cases and the California cases, whether they should be heard in state or federal court. Once we hear from the Ninth Circuit on this matter, there's no question, um, and the cases will be green-lighted and, and proceed as they should. Cool. Larry, I wanted to add to Alyssa, she was a catalyst to get things going on a statewide level here on Oahu, and I hope she comes back and has another crack at it when there's a new governor. <laughs> but I wanted to say that I'm really proud of our lawyers for what they've done so far in this case here on Oahu, that we've kept the case in state court before Judge Crabtree. As a result of filing this lawsuit, it's created full employment for all the major corporate law firms in downtown Honolulu. There's seven or eight firms. There, one of them was my old firm. They've all been retained by the biggest of the big oil companies. And they are running a harassment type action basically to bury the plaintiff's lawyers and the city and county of Honolulu with all this tedious discovery and other things to wear us down, to make us give up. And so this is where I think a lot of people have been involved in the fight, Maui and hopefully Kauai at some point in Hawaii Island. We all share in that burden and we may not all get through, but some of us are. And that's where the victory comes. It's an all out war by big oil using every amount of money they have to pay not only the Hawaii firms, but they come in with heavy hitters from the continent. Some of the best corporate firms that you can find around the country joining up with the best local firms to fight us and to cover up their deception. So I'm proud of the fact we're winning. I don't want to jinx it or botchy as they say here, the <laughs> Japanese word for bringing bad luck, but so far our luck has been good. But not luck, Kurt. We're right. Right. Well, yes, <laughs> that's correct. It does sound an awful lot like big tobacco lawsuits, right? Right. Yeah. Are there costs to, to Maui, to Honolulu in participating in these lawsuits? As far as I know, there have been no costs to Maui other than our own resources um, in Corporation Council, which are on salary. And we have not been charged by our legal representation, Cher Edling. Is that the same for you, Kurt? Yeah, our lawyers have taken this on without charging us for it, which we're very grateful. And we have, I think, some of the best lawyers in the country that know how to fight big oil. And I think that's partly why we're successful. The only other costs are the ones that come out of providing documentation we do have Lawyers, our corporation counsel, you say, they get paid whether they come to work or not, and they come to work, and they have to do what the discovery requests. And of course, we need to provide information as to what our damages are. There's those kind of costs, but the kind of that you think about that you're paying high-priced lawyers by the hour 
to fight this, that's been absorbed by plaintiffs' counsel, uh, which we're very grateful for. And I think they're doing that not for Maui, and I know they do it for the other counties, and I think they're doing it in other jurisdictions around the country. In a way, I think they're real heroes for what they're doing. Absolutely. I mean, as far as I know, all of these cases have been taken on a contingency fee basis and arrangement, and there's not a penny in terms of any kind of financial transaction that takes place. Any kind of payout is just at the, at the end of the case when there's actual remedies. So let's say you're a smaller to mid-sized community and, and you're listening to this episode and you're thinking, hey, maybe we can do this. Where do they start? Melissa? Well, we are actively in conversation with folks all over this country. We're happy to have conversations with you to share more about these lawsuits, about the claims, about the process, about the firms that are available for representation. We can share all the resources that we have and the tools in our toolkit. Feel free to to reach out to us. Our website is climateintegrity.org. We're happy to to educate. I think there are certainly conversations to happen within any city or county council or within a mayor's office to really understand the pros and cons of this type of litigation and understanding what your climate costs truly are. Some communities have a better understanding of that than others, but we're happy to work with you on that issue as well. But I think understanding what those costs are and who's responsible and what your potential legal recourse might be, I think that's a good place to start. And then to have those conversations internally about whether or not this makes sense for your community. There seems to be some coordination in, uh, among counties in Hawaii. Does it make sense to have a coordinated effort or can cities go it alone? Is there a better path one way or the other? It's always going to be a case-by-case analysis, depending on the jurisdiction and the laws that are in play. You also have to look at the impacts and the costs in each community to determine what makes the most sense. In the case of Honolulu and Maui, I think there was a lot of support and information sharing and to some extent political cover that they provided in, in moving alongside one another. But I don't think that there was any necessity or value in actually filing a joint complaint together. I think that was done independently. And I think that's what made sense for them. That's not to say that it couldn't be done jointly, but I really do think it's it's a case-by-case analysis. Abby, I wanted to add the cost of litigation are covered. They'll only get compensated at the end when they win. We still have to do an analysis of the cost of climate impacts on, on Oahu. And part of the reason is that our bond underwriters, and this is happening in municipalities across the country, they want to know what you're doing to address our climate crisis and that your bond rating is going to be adversely affected if you're not taking action. And part of that is, well, what are the costs that you're seeing as a result of this climate crisis? So this lawsuit that we filed, it has only forced us to be a little bit more aggressive in trying to assess what the impacts are and what the costs are so that we can put it into our reports that we give to our bond underwriters, our bond raters every single year. And they have responded positively as a result of this lawsuit, not so much because they filed the lawsuit, although I'd like to see damages coming in to cover the cost of remediation, but it's made us be a little more exact and precise in terms of what are the demands going forward to deal with the rising sea level, rain bombs, those kind of things, and what kind of infrastructure costs that's going to place on the sitting county of Honolulu. And it gives us a, a stronger 
chance to even get to a triple A bond rating. We have a double A plus. I just wanted to mention that we'd probably be doing it anyway. It's not too much, so much an additional cost. It's just an incentive to get us to do something we should have done earlier. Are there other risks for cities to sue these major, major companies? There was no risk to us, to Maui County, because like I said, there was no cost, there's no uh, retainer for the attorneys. And like Kirk said, we're having to do an inventory of damage anyway to keep up our bond rating because we have one of the highest bond ratings in the state as well. I think the only risk is if we don't move forward ourselves with climate mitigation, you know, the risk is that we're suing an industry for getting us hooked on their fossil fuel. And at the same time, we're trying to figure out how to get off of it. We've got to start at the same time that we're suing. We've got to recognize, yes, this is a very bad thing. and We need to get it off of fossil fuel ourselves as fast as possible. I don't see that happening as quick as it should be happening in our state or anywhere around the country, for that matter. You know, we have to have the same urgency in our own use. I wish we could move quicker so that we could keep up with the demands that we're making in this lawsuit. And one of the things that's going around right now that I hope we can all sign on to is there's a global campaign to sign the Fossil Fuel Non-Proliferation Treaty. We can't be moving forward and increasing our use of fossil fuel at the same time that we're suing petroleum. That's an issue for me personally, because I've been in the renewable energy industry for over 25 years. Abby, I was going to add, when you asked the question about risk, I asked myself, why aren't more mayors and governors of cities and states joining in filing lawsuits? There's 26 now between cities and states. That's not that many. And I think part of it is states and cities are not used to suing big corporate entities. I mean, they have tobacco, opioid and big oil, but it's not in the nature of of these types of organizations. So it takes some courage to get out of your standard operating procedure. And that's different and different and change is risky to people. A lot of politicians, elected officials are risk adverse. They need to be given the courage. I do think those who have gone give the others courage. Socrates said, courage breeds courage. And when you see someone crawling out of a foxhole and going, you're more inclined to crawl out to and go with them. And I look at us as the early people crawling out of the the foxholes. The other risks I think are twofold. One is when you file a lawsuit, there's a winner and loser and no one likes to lose. Kind of like when you run to you either win or lose. I don't know, Larry. I mean, I ran for mayor once and lost. That was no fun. But I learned from the loss and it made me stronger, but it's more fun winning than losing. So the risk is you could lose. And if you're the mayor or the governor who was the one who said, let's file a lawsuit and you lose, you have to explain that to your community. Now, I, I would have a way to explain it, even if we lost. I don't think we will. And then the last one is you're suing big oil, one of the most powerful industries in the world. In our United States Congress, you can't even create a climate change committee. You know, they got committees for everything. You have a Democratic climate change committee in the Senate but it's not an official committee that that has the power and authority. My point is big oil's influence throughout our federal government, through our state government, through our city government is strong, it's powerful. They know people who know people who can put pressure on people and you're taking on the giant. But I think as more people crawl out and they show that there's wins, I think it's gonna give courage to others to take on this industry, which really these lawsuits They're addressing our climate crisis. But the real issue here 
is bad corporate behavior, right? We're talking about corporations who know the truth and have covered it up. Just like big pharma, just like big tobacco, they knew what they were doing and they covered it up to make more money. And now they're gonna be held accountable for their bad behavior. I would like to just say one thing. I don't think you're as risk averse as you think, Kirk, because you, you lost, but you ran again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to me, and part of this is coming as a mother, you know, and a grandmother, is it's much more risky to not try to stay away from it because you might lose. And I think that's a philosophy that we've had on our council since we've become a majority of women for the first time ever on the Maui County Council. I don't see that as a risk because if we lose, we haven't really lost anything. We haven't sent millions of dollars into it. But to not even try when we know this is the right thing to do, and we know that this deception was going on, and we know it will continue at the uh, detriment to the people of Hawaii. So I didn't see going into the lawsuit as the risk. The risk is that if we're not all in, then I feel like there's a risk of hypocrisy. And I, I hate to see that. I wanted to add something. There's this guy named Nainoa Thompson, who is a Na Hawaiian navigator, who took the Hokulea, which is a double-haul sailing canoe, the kinds that came from Tahiti and came to Hawaii and went back just as in the stars before white people would leave the side of the continent. He did a worldwide voyaging effort a couple of years ago and went all over the world. And it was all of, about climate. Um, he had a mayonnaise jar with all these messages he gathered from everyone, including people like Desmond Tutu, who just passed away. I mean, amazing man. I heard him give a speech once where he said, you know, he had to decide whether to untie his double hull sailing canoe and sail because there's great risk sailing the Pacific and Atlantic, going around the Horn and things like that. But he said, sometimes it is more dangerous to stay tied to the pier than to sail the ocean. Kelly, you're right. No action. You may think it's safe, but you're actually tied to the pier. You're going to go down. That's right. Taking action and sailing, while it looks dangerous, is probably much safer than staying away in fear of big oil. Right. And I think, you know, the city and county of Honolulu and the county of Maui are sailing, along with other brave cities and states taking on big oil in this epic battle to address corporate bad behavior. Wow. Well, my last question was going to be for advice or inspiration for other cities or counties considering this, but I don't think I need to ask it because that was great and it certainly impacted me. I want to thank you all for this uh, episode, Abby, of County Climate Corner. I think Kingdom Climate Corner. <laughs> Kingdom Climate Corner. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there we go. If there is anything else you would like to add or advice, please feel free. Okay, I would just like to say that there's no future in fossil fuels. And I understand that the big corporations know that now. So they're fighting like heck to not be accountable for the past. But I hope we learn from this, not just as counties and states, but as a global community, that what's really important is taking care of each other. Because that's why we have these big lawsuits against big pharma, big tobacco, and big oil, because people are more concerned with their pockets than they are uh, with the environment or, or the health of our friends and family. To me, that's the biggest lesson that the defendants knew for more than 50 years that greenhouse gas pollution from their fossil fuel products would have this adverse effect on people and on the Earth's climate. And now we're experiencing the effects of climate change. You know, we can hold people accountable and hopefully we'll get the money to do what we need to do to address um, the effects of climate change. But 
there's a deeper reason we're doing this and there's a deeper philosophy behind this. It's got to be a global change so that we don't have to go through these kinds of lawsuits on a regular basis, which seems to happen. The basis for everything is greed. I would encourage other communities to join the fight because it's not just a fight against big oil. It's not just a fight against big corporations. It's really a fight against this adverse behavior that emanates from greed. And we need to all be together on that, on that message. I did want to thank you, Alyssa, for um, being the tip of that spear, getting us going. And I can imagine you're doing the same in other states around the country and bringing other cities and counties. So I hope you keep charging forward. Kelly, all of us, we're fighting on the right team. Right. You know, we're with the good guys. And I feel really proud of that. The other thing is, you know, I think about tobacco. You know, I lost my dad. He was an OBGYN, yet he was addicted to smoking tobacco. You know, I knew someone who died from tobacco. Uh, personally and directly, horrific death affects me to this day through the misleading statements early on. All of us, I think, are starting to know people who've died from climate crisis. Think about the folks in paradise who burned to death in their cars trying to flee. Think about people drowned and washed away in flooding in Europe. Think about fires in Greece and outside of Sydney. It's becoming such a crisis that we know people, just like I knew my dad, who are starting to die from this crisis. And it's time that big oil is held accountable for that tragedy. So that's why I know we're on the right side. And I just hope we all keep fighting. I do have to make a small note here that earlier you were telling Alyssa that maybe she could come back to Hawaii and help out with uh, the next governor and just wishing <laughs> you good luck in your race. It's a difficult campaign to say the least, but <laughs> I've never given up on any fight. Just like fighting big oil, you know, we do all we can. But thank you, Larry. That's very kind of you. Appreciate it. And I do hope we all get together in person again, maybe to celebrate victories for for Honolulu and Maui. Absolutely. Thank you for your leadership. This is a very inspirational conversation. Wow. So what are your takeaways, Larry? The first one I'll say is, the story they told about how this idea came to them when they were at this conference and met a surfer dude mayor from Imperial Beach, California, Serge Dedina, hoping I'm pronouncing his name right. Imperial California, by the way, is 27,000 people. And he said, yeah, I'm suing the oil companies. You should do it too. So this idea originated from a small city. Yeah. I think that's pretty incredible. And and the number of governments that are following suit and bringing their own lawsuits forward. And I think that we'll only see that to grow very, very strong parallels to the lawsuits against the tobacco industry. You knew this was a problem. You knew it was causing harm. You lie about it and you continue to extract and sell this product that is harming, directly harming us. I also found the point interesting that Today, that you can see that they've shifted their tone a bit. But the point is, is right now they're greenwashing, right? They're still mm-hmm. selling this product and yeah. have reaped all these rewards at the expense of our habitat. It's incredible to me. We have subsidized fossil industries for a long time. We continue to subsidize them. And it seems likely that they'll be subsidized as they kind of wind down in different places as well. And there's been little to no give on the other side and acknowledging responsibility for this and 
that's the question all the time, right? Is how are we going to pay for this? And we keep looking for these different avenues of like public tax dollars, public investment, private investment. But there's this other piece out there of accountability and paying for damages that you caused. And so I think that's really the heart of these lawsuits is you caused this and you're responsible for this. I found the number that they threw out of, I think it was $3.2 billion worth of facilities that are in the zone that will be impacted by sea level rise. That's an incredible number. And the thing though, is if you look at any city, I mean, in St. Louis Park, we have it as well. There's, there's infrastructure costs that we're going to incur because of climate change. And city budgets are not sufficient to handle many of these costs. And so we look for state support and federal support, but you're right. Why shouldn't the organizations that caused it and profited immensely off it be paying? The thing for me as I think about bringing this to council in St. Louis Park is, is it the right thing to do to, to be part of this so that at some point in the future, I do think it'll be successful at some point, there's some funds that help expenses that are coming. Mm-hmm. The thing that stood out to me, Councilmember King brought it up, is that conundrum or feeling like a hypocrite, right? It's like you're taking on the fossil fuel industry while you're also stuck in this system of having to use fossil fuels. And people do do what we can here and there, but at the end of the day, it's it's very hard to live a fossil-free life in these systems that we've created. And so we have to broker a path out of here. And that's going to require some hypocrisy along the way. And that's okay as long as we can get to that outcome where we're using these clean alternatives and, and still thriving and probably thriving more, actually. Yeah. One of the things on the financial side of this that struck me quite a bit was, I think it was Kirk talking about bond ratings and that they have to assess the impacts and costs of climate change anyway, because as they raise money for bonding, the folks that are giving them money are requiring that because they want to understand what kind of risk there is. Mm -hmm. So it was easy enough for them to do that. They had to do it anyway. And then to say, well, look, the folks that caused this should be held accountable. Yeah. We're in it, right? The global temperature has been rising. It's going to continue to rise even if we shut off all emissions. And so we're going to face the consequences of that going forward. And we ask, what is the risk to suing these companies? They might intimidate you. They might wear you down. But there's not the financial risk and there's only gain taking them on and winning. Kudos to to Honolulu, to Maui, to all of the entities that are out there leading the charge on this. We hope you enjoyed this episode of City Climate Corner. If you like what you're hearing, make sure to subscribe and give us a review. If you're able, become a monthly supporter through Patreon. As always, you can find more information on this topic and resources from each episode's guests on our webpage, cityclimatecorner.com. If you have an idea for the show, send us an email at cityclimatecorner at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. City Climate Corner is produced by Abby Finnis and me, Larry Kraft. Edited by me. Our production assistant is Maggie Morin. Music by King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.